Hi, my name is Chris, and I am the host of the Birding Life Youth Podcast, the show where we talk to young birders to find out what makes them tick. Tonight, my guest is Zebedee Muller, and we talk about his experience in birding in America as well as Australia. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Zebedee. Okay, I want to welcome Zebedee Muller to the show. I am so glad to have him as a guest. So welcome. Hey, hey, it's really nice to be on this podcast. I'm looking forward to answering these questions and and also sharing about all my birding experiences. So if you're trying to, if um, there's somebody listening to this podcast and they're trying to place where your accent is from, tell us about where you're actually from. I am originally from Australia, Adelaide, South Australia, to be more precise. But um, I actually moved when I was two years old to the United States and lived in Ohio for 16 years. But I've been back multiple times between the countries. So it's created this American-Australian accent. So it's a hard one to figure out. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hybrid, uh, a, a merry, a merry Auss- Aussie kind of accent. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you could say that. So um, this is probably on a bit of a side note, um, but I want to find out, are you a rugby supporter? I am not a rugby supporter. Actually, Australian footy is um, bigger here than rugby. It's its own thing. It's completely different. But it's um, Australian rules. <laughs> That's uh, the no holds barred one. I've seen it. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's pretty intense. <laughs> Tell us a bit, how did you actually get into birding? Um, how, how, what made you want to become a birder? Well, there's many factors in it, but especially with my dad, who was already interested in nature, and he liked to sort of bring me up going out on walks and while we're traveling different places or going between different countries, I mean, Australia and New Zealand and America. It's sort of this fascination with birds sort of built up, seeing how they changed from each country I went to. I realized that they were pretty amazing. So over time, I decided to get a a camera and then a pair of binoculars and start observing them, counting them. And that's what led me to use eBird and join into birding groups and just go wild then after that. Okay. And uh, what is the one of the main differences between birding in the USA and birding in Australia? I'd say the major differences are especially just with the birds and how they move around in the United States and in, in Australia, where there there's more as a migration pattern, but a lot of them are more endemic to different areas. So there's a lot more species that stay within their habitats. And they'll barely move, or they'll just do a very miniature migration within Australia. Then over in the United States, you have the massive fall and spring migrations of um, songbird species. And then you also have a separate waterfowl migration that goes for the whole country. And waterfowl in, the, in Australia actually do not migrate. They just move around basically nomadically looking for water sources and places to nest is completely different it's that's really cool i mean like 
and do you get many migrants from other countries? In Australia, we occasionally get these megas from, especially shorebirds. Like um, recently, there's been a lesser yellow legs that's showed up on the coast. And a northern shoveler last the end of last year showed up in a wetlands not far from where I'm right now. And they can be in Japan and down in Indonesia sometimes, but that's a big mega for Australia. It's normally going to be birds that can travel long distances, like small songbirds generally do not make it to Australia. So we don't get as many rarities like that. That's cool. And uh which is the bigger list at the moment? Do you have a bigger list in the United States or a bigger list in Australia? Well, currently, since I lived in the United States for quite a while, I have a bigger list in the United States for 464 species. And I just have 289 in Australia now, but it's slowly creeping up and eventually overtake my American list within the next year, I think. That's good. <laughs> and do you get out birding quite often? I get out birding every single day, even for a very small amount. Some days I'm pretty busy, but um, on the weekends when I have free time, I'll do larger trips or I'll go looking for twitching on a rare bird. But um, every day it's a requirement for me to at least get at least the smallest amount of birding in so I can keep up the pace and keep on finding species. Cool. And do you bird with anybody else or are you a solo birder? When I first started out, I was pretty solo. I, was, I didn't really have as many ties with the birding community at that point in time. I was just learning on my own in the, in, back in the United States. But as soon as I got involved with birding communities, the birding community there and the birding clubs, last two years I was there, that's when I got more into it. And now, as soon as I arrived in Australia, I've been birding with people every week now, going on trips with different people. Cool. And uh, you mentioned to me that you, when you were in the United States, you did something called um, hatch birding, at least. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, so patch birding... Is birding your local area, finding a, finding the parks, finding the most local wetlands and different places that are nearby to your house where you live. It's not going very far. It's very easy place to access, and it's just counting and observing and um, finding out what species are in your local area. So this is a thing I would do, I mean, especially during the school year when I was studying there in the United States, I would go out every single day after school. I'd go down to my patch, check out the area, see what new species have moved through. And with the migration in the United States, it really did make it very exciting because on some days I've gotten some pretty, pretty wild species showing up just in the middle of my patch, not far from where I live. And it's pretty amazing getting to see species so close to your own home. You would never imagine were there in the first place. That's cool. And um, around about how many species did you manage to record in your local batch? I got to around 145 species of birds in total. So a pretty substantial list in the end. Yeah. 
And I think if I had stayed there for another migration, I would have even got more because each year I just kept on tacking on more birds because in the United States, birds get flung everywhere as they're migrating. So there's always a chance for some big rarity to show up and me to find it in my own patch. That's cool. And um, you also mentioned that you do, uh, you use e-birding and that you've got a daily checklist. Tell us a bit about that because, I mean, that seems very ambitious. Well, it's sort of a way to inspire people to do more checklists if they so wish to. Is a checklist streak comes along with e-bird and making and reporting species with checklists. So just by doing a complete checklist every single day, I can maintain that streak. But it, it just inspires me to keep my birding going. And it, it's always been a great way for me to record species. And that's how I keep the trends and show all the um, interesting species that I found in my local area. I just keep making these checklists every day and it creates the trends. I can see exactly where I've seen species and how many times I've seen species. It makes all the information more accurate. I'm doing more checklists and doing them every day. Okay. And um, a bit earlier, you also mentioned that you have been recently out birding with a group. Uh, which group were you out birding with? It's called the um, Canberra Ornithologist Group. It's This is based in the capital of Australia, the ACT, Australian Capital Territory. And I did a bit of a walk with them, like a mystery walk. It was to a location to see a mystery bird that they weren't going to tell us. It was a surprise for us. And we walked uh, probably about a few hours into a area that has a lake. And the mystery bird was a bunch of great crested grebes that were nesting, which is a more unusual species to have in large numbers in this part of Australia, the more common on the western side of Australia. But um, it was quite enjoyable getting to bird with some other birders in Canberra, even though most of the birders that were participating weren't really around my age. I was actually the youngest person in that entire group. So I did feel a little bit like an odd one out, but I still relate well with the older birders in the community. <laughs> That's good. And um, when you were in the States, which birding club did you connect to there? I mean, there was actually two clubs that I was participating in when I was in Columbus, Ohio. There was one called the Avid Birders, which is a mainly an older group, older people, but I really became um, good friends with many people in that group and actually decided to do quite a few twitches with them. So as soon as rare birds showed up in Ohio, I would go with them and, and they would take me to find, help them photograph the species because I became the photographer for a few of the trips that I did with them. And then also there's the Ohio Young Birders Club. It's the official young birding club for all of Ohio. And there was a, quite a lot of members involved in that as well. And we would do patch birding challenges and do little trips together and meet up in different locations to find different species. So I did some fun trips with them as well. Okay. 
And uh, I was wondering if you can maybe help me out with this a little bit because I've I've kind of seen in America that there's two different birding associations. There's the American Birding Association and there's Audubon. What what is the difference between the two? Well, honestly, they both kind of work in different ways with their programs and conservation. I've never really been sure why there's two either, honestly. I just kind of kind of gotten used to the fact of having both of them. They do their own things, but they work in sync a lot of times. A lot of their programs line up. So it just works having two massive organizations, especially when the population in the United States is just so massive and expansive. There's just so many things that need to get done in terms of conservation and education programs. So that's probably why there are multiple organizations that are working towards bird goals there. And I know you might not want to comment on this, but I just wanted to find out. Um, what is your view on the controversy with all the different bird names, the changing of the bird names and all that in America? Oh, it's it's quite simple for me. Just change them all to bird names that make sense. Not um, people's names. People's names aren't relevant to the bird at all. There's no reason to have someone's name labeling it, especially if they were a slave trader or had some kind of history of violence in their past. There's no reason to, there's no reason to tie them to the birds. Now they're not relevant anymore. So it's very important that we change them. So they represent and describe the bird and it actually makes sense for that species. Cool. And you've also said that um, one of your passions is traveling. So what do you enjoy the most about traveling? I would say it's the experience of coming to a completely different area and seeing a completely new set of birds and nature. It's the change in the change in the scenery, changing everything up for you and experiencing something completely different. It really gets me excited every time I get off an airplane and enter an area I haven't actually been to. Because as soon as I step out, every single bird I see during that time could be a lifer a new species I haven't recorded. And then then new tastes of foods, new cultures, all those things mixed together to make it a completely new experience. That's what I enjoy about traveling so much. It's the change in the experience. And then of course, adding to my life list and birding really does interest me to travel more in the future. And that's exactly why I plan on doing trips to multiple countries especially visiting parts of South America, Central America, where the birds are just so amazing. As soon as I step out, most of those species will become lifers. And that's the thrilling part of travel. Okay. And um, I think one of the things that actually ties into that passion of travel is your um, passion in photography. Uh, You're a brilliant photographer and the photos I've seen of yours is just like it's so astounding. How did oh, you, you how did you manage to get um, yourself to such a level of photography? How did you like where did you learn how to become such a good photographer? Well, my photography side mainly came as a self-taught sort of thing for the most part, except um probably in the past two years, I've joined some Instagram chats actually. Just interesting. 
that um, I've been sending my pictures into and I've worked on edits with them online and we've done different photography things, nothing in person. So I basically over the past two years, maybe doubled my skills in photography simply by being part of Instagram chat. And we, we edit pictures. We work on, we work on things through Lightroom, Photoshop, cleaning up images and how to improve our quality and also take better images originally, how to get the best and sharpest and best lighting on every single picture I take in the field. And that's really helped to improve my photography recently. Okay. And uh, I think there's always one thing that, uh, one controversy that surrounds editing pictures where you get one side of the people say, you mustn't use Photoshop, you mustn't take out things out of the picture. And then the other side says, you must actually clean it up. So which side of the spectrum are you on? Well, normally I take it right middle because a lot of my pictures, I will leave a lot of the environmental side of the picture, leave the branches and stuff because I like to like keep it a bit original, at least have some of the original picture in the frame in it. But if there's things like a branch that's sticking across a bird or something that's completely obscuring or ruining the image, then it's just an irritation to have it there. It's better to use Photoshop to remove it so I can have a better image afterwards. That's pretty cool. And then finally, um, just something I want to talk to you about um you also mentioned that you've done bird counts before tell us a little bit about that um your experience of bird counts because i think like a lot of the the younger birders that might have heard about bird counts before seem to think that it leans more towards the older crowd um so tell us a little bit about your bird count experience well i I used to do bird counts a lot in the united states and Christmas bird counts included. And then also ones I would go to do a national wildlife refuge on the Lake Erie front in Ohio. And it's called Ottawa National Wildlife Refuge. And I'll do census counts there every single month with mainly older people, but some younger people would join along as well. And it's the excitement of finding out what species you're going to find in the, during the counts each time I go there. It's always enjoyable to help out and report species because it's all official and all the information will go straight to the Ohio Division of um, Wildlife, which will help with conservation goals by seeing what species are moving around and where they're going. And then also I will take part in Christmas bird counts and sometimes I'll deal with younger birders in the community. And that's when it would get really fun because we would kind of compete to see you get the most species. And then we will find this, find some unique species or maybe even find a rarity while out birding and doing a Christmas bird count. It's always exciting when you get something else that's completely unusual during a count. And it helps with conservation goals at the same time while you're enjoying it. So it's really a win-win. There's just, there's no way to lose with doing counts. It's just such an exciting thing to do. It's been a really good podcast having you on it. Um, I'm so glad that I actually had the opportunity to have a chat to you. But just one thing before we go, and this is probably going to cause people who listen to this podcast to actually have to go Google. Um, Which bird 
do you believe doesn't exist right now? The bird that you've been told is at a certain place and you've dipped on it countless of times. Which bird is that? Well, there's, there's been certain species that I've just recently discovered. I already, I already actually managed to discover my Australian nemesis a little bit ago. It's a bittern species. I was convinced it didn't exist for quite a long time. But I would say it's probably maybe like the white-winged fairy wren. During my recent trips, I've gone out to different parts of further into New South Wales to search for these birds. And generally speaking, they're meant to be in the areas that I've looked for them. And I would just say that they haven't been in any of those locations I've looked for them in the past, each of the trips I've done recently. So it's been kind of disappointing. I keep on dipping on the areas where they're meant to be. And they're quite elusive sometimes. It's based on water sources. So they're probably moving even further inland. So just they're, they're kind of avoiding me each time I do a trip, which is annoying. <laughs> so it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like Bigfoot. Do you have no um, solid proof that it doesn't exist, but you also don't have any proof that it does exist. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens with these birds that always avoid you during the and- trip. And if you had to pick a certain species of bird, what would be your favorite? But I mean, I recently have had a certain obsession with a certain species of kingfisher in Australia. And I would say that they're pretty amazing. I've seen them a few times and they seem to just glow in the sun each time I see them. It's called the uh, Azura kingfisher. There's a vivid orange breast and a vivid vivid, um, blue back. It's extremely shiny and vibrant. And they live around different parts of Australia and actually migrate from the northern parts of Australia down to the southern parts of Australia throughout the year. I've had the opportunity to see them a few times. So I'd say at this current moment in Australia, that is my favorite bird. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Thanks so much, Zebedee, for uh, all your awesome insight and um, telling us what bird doesn't exist for you. Um, I look forward to hearing more from you in the future and possibly even speaking to you again soon. That sounds awesome. It was a pleasure being part of the podcast. Once again, I just want to thank Zebedee for being such an awesome guest. Be sure to follow us on all our social media platforms and follow us on your preferred podcast player. Thank you.